Welcome back, folks. It's episode four of Nothing to Promote with me, Tony Lewis. Once again, thanks for turning on and tuning in. Appreciate all your positive feedback, constructive criticism, and indeed support over the first three episodes. Here we are then with episode four. Probably a different perspective from the previous pods. That's some good alliteration right there. (laughs) But today's guest was once described as a biochemist by day, a wrestler by night. He's also got a very, very famous namesake, which led me to some confusion upon our first meeting. Anyway, let's get down to business, or should we say, into the boardroom. Guest number four is none other than Apprentice winner, an all-round nice bloke, former wrestler, believe it or not, Mr. Ricky Martin. So good morning, mate. Everything good and well? It's me, Mr. Positive, always well with me. I'm good. Um, good to be chatting as well. Good to be talking. Definitely, pal. It's just, I think that's one of the reasons I've kind of gone into this movement of a pod because even though the pod is obviously an audio thing, the visual interaction with somebody else, I think this past 12 months, we've kind of missed that interaction and physicality, just whether it's something high-fiving or it's now a fist bump in it or just you know the business I'm in is quite touchy feely and you know kissing two cheeks or three cheeks if you're in Holland depends where you are it's nice to see you mate and I tell you what I don't know whether you're getting some work off one of them apprentice contestants but you are looking sharp on that forehead <laughs> I don't know after having a second kid in the last year I feel like I'm getting older and older and older but I'm doing my best right it was what's the lockdown baby been like yeah, do you know what? It's been a, um, I mean, we wanted to have kids for years. Um, I think I was, it's been hard, but I say that in a nice way because we spent four years of IVF trying to have our first child. So I'm not ungrateful of my child or my children. However, yeah, it's been lockdown, having to manage a business, 50 staff of all different dem- demands, um, wife who obviously at first was heavily pregnant and we had to have manage a toddler running around the place and then a newborn then a newborn a toddler and the business it's been um it's been yeah. an interesting year i'm, fit, um, I'm fitting in all those botox treatments <laughs> <laughs> my wife said that to me the other day she goes do you think you're gonna do you think you're gonna get dr lee who runs one of the other uh, apprentice yeah. winning companies do you think you get a dr lee on that I'm not there yet. I'm not quite there yet. Maybe one. Well, maybe you, getting... well you know, 36, 37? 37 in a few days. So, um, yeah. No, actually, a, 36 in a few. That's how bad it is. <laughs> 36. It's, 35 yeah. today, 36 in a few days. Oh, good, man. Well, it's good to kind of see you. You are a positive person. So I think that that always helps, especially in this kind of past 12 months. When yeah. you say you and Gemma were, well, Jen was heavily expecting, but obviously you're part of the process and quite integral to that. Was it a case of, well, it will be done in a few weeks, the the pregnancy will be fine, the birth, and then when the stipulations came in and it was ongoing and kind of seemed everlasting as it is now, was it a case of, like, what we're going to do? Did What was the knowing on that? Well, I've got to say, to an extent, I guess from having a first child only two years ago, um, that kind of maternity first year is like lockdown anyway, if I'm very honest with you, in terms of how much you actually go out and do, how much you socialise, how much you see. So 
the lockdown provisions from a social perspective for us weren't too bad because we were already going to be locked down as a result of a child and neither of us live anywhere near our family. So we proper our lockdown with them. Um, that said, I was probably more from, from the first time around having a kid and, and what a change it made to my life when I'm here, there and everywhere with business, with my clients, doing different things to all of a sudden have to be more mindful of where I am at what time being home to support. I was and, and, and my first child was quite a handful to start. With. I was probably more um, wrapped up in the, oh, my God, I've got to go through this again, as opposed to worrying about the world around me. Um, so. Um, <laughs> and I say that honestly, and, and Olivia's arrived and she's been a complete dream. Like she, I think when people say every kid is different, I've realised that, but I was going into waiting for her to turn up thinking, Christ, this is going to be the hardest year I've ever seen in my life. And it has been hard because of lockdown, but um, it has had so many positives and yeah. plus sides and upsides. It's been an extended like paternity kind of leave, I suppose, hasn't it? Agreed. You know, you've still, had, you've still got a business to run, you've still got employees to pay. You know, that's that pressure and, you know, that's what you've got to do every day. So, uh, Well, it was the first few months of when, when, when we started realising what COVID was and then the lockdown cut. It was those first few months of thinking, forget me putting food and, and money on the table for my family. I've got kind of a workforce of the best part of 50 people where I always pledge that when I hire people, I'm hiring them in to, to enable them to have a life, enable them to have a lifestyle that... Actually, our, our jobs were dropping off because we, we do recruitment for the sciences. At first, kind of our business just dropped off a cliff and I'm like, how am I going to afford all yeah. of these things? So um, I've got to say, very lucky to have a really, really strong wife who was able to say, don't worry about me being pregnant and at home. Right? I've got this in hand. You just do what you need to do to get the business moving along um, in this period. And, and we got through that smoothly and, and, and it's busier than ever right now. But um, yeah, yeah, because I think interest- that science at the moment is integral to the world kind of carrying on is it well yeah well exactly that i mean my background is i'm actually a biochemist by trade but most people know the fun stuff about me but i'm actually a biochemist by trade that's that my real background so um right now every biochemist worth their soul is trying to help to get vaccines to market and support our diagnostics and what my company does is we just hire scientists to do that so i use my knowledge of it to talk to people who actually do it so we're busier than ever trying to get great people into roles to help vaccines help screening help medicines, help patients. Did you say you're busier than ever or did you say you're richer than ever? (laughs) Busier than ever. (laughs) Probably having to do five times the amount of work for probably half the amount of money because you've also got a degree where there's less mobility in employment. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all know in terms of, if you look in the country right now, employment's going to be at kind of an all-time low right now and we'll continue like, we'll get worse as this year progresses, particularly when furlough schemes come off. Um, but I work with a marketplace where they need people to take jobs because of helping vaccines, but nobody can move home as freely as they used to in order to take a job if they need to relocate. And some people live away in the week. People can't really go away and stay in hotels because of lockdown. So, and then you've got Brexit compounded with that European talent pool doesn't want to come into the country and vice versa. So you've got loads of opportunities and actually a much smaller population of people to talk to. Yeah, I mean, I say that tongue in cheek because I think that, some people, uh, you know, believe everything that they read, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think that some people think that is all about medicine and profit margin yeah. and stuff like that. And at the moment, it's just about the world's sustainability, isn't it? I think you've got two things right now. You've got, I think, to a lot of people, kind of at a ground, ground root, so a lot, it's survival. Right? A lot of us just need to survive this, get through the lockdown, both with 
financial burdens, but really from a, um, I guess, a well-being perspective. I mean, we're not designed to sit at home shacked up um, without human touch. You mentioned it earlier, particularly with what you do. I mean, you're proper engaging with people in life. With, and we're having conversations here. Well, do you want to do something with me virtually? Well, talk about clipping your wings in yeah. what you do in your job by sticking you on a video camera and saying, just do that rather than entertaining an incredible amount of people and getting people up and smiling. So um, I think the biggest battle of survival is probably mentally surviving and pushing through it. Um, and then, of course, it's sustainability of how we can get through this quickly, how we can get through it well and how we can make minimal impact for the future. So, yeah, weird old world right now. Weird old world. So, like, when we speak about physical interaction, we've only officially physically interacted. That sounds so bad just as an audio, doesn't it? Um, we've <laughs> only kind of met in person just the once. We, you, and it was at your favourite football club in the entire <laughs> well, you, football you, you said that day that you thought you'd met me before in Ibiza or something. and you'd, you, I was convinced. You, you, I went when I was 18 to an event. In, I went to Ibiza with some, like every young kid does. I went when I was 18 to Ibiza. And I can't, there was an event, like a, I think it was like a Mardi Gras event, they called <laughs> it. And I was literally, it was just, it was, it was, it was, and I was, I was sat next to him a Robbie Williams impersonator who was out there for the season doing Robbie Williams gigs. And I'm, it must be you. It wouldn't be me if it was a season-long thing. I, I, I couldn't do a season in a people. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, we met at Portsmouth Football Club. In the boardroom. In the boardroom. I mean, we'll get to proper boardrooms shortly, pal. Um, my mate was managing, and one of my best mates was the assistant manager there, Appy and Westy. And I just remember kind of, I was a bit worse, worse for wear that day, as you, I don't know if you remember. We, you, I said we, you played Shrewsbury. Um, the club was in administration. Mm. And the boardroom there, because I've not been in a lot of boardrooms, but when you've yeah. kind of been to football clubs to watch games, I've been lucky enough to go in the hospitality, especially at Old Trafford. It's kind of a different vibe at Fratton Park, isn't it? Because it's, it's like your grandma's front room. It is, and it hasn't changed. It's still like that. It was always like that when they're in the in, in the Premier League. I, I really well liked now. it. I thought it was really kind of homely. You, you know, I thought it was quite northern, if anything. <laughs> it was it was intimate. I think that's probably the good yeah, part. It was intimate. But very, you know, different to what I've been used to. And I remember people coming over and speaking to you, and you seemed quite popular with people. I haven't seen that season of The Apprentice. It's something if I get to watch the first couple, I can get into it. Yeah. You know, it depends on your workload, but then you know what it's like. You miss a couple of episodes and by the time you're catching up, the episode's gone, somebody's gone and you've missed this whole kind of series of it. So I wasn't aware who who you were, so to speak. And then, <laughs> but fair play to you, you came over chatting, introduced yourself and then... You know, you said I'm Ricky, blah blah blah. You didn't say you'd won the apprentice or anything like that. You were just you were there, you seemed popular. You had a well, I think it's the view. worst thing if you yeah. I mean, bear in mind, it's a minute moment of, of public interest. Like for me, it was 2012, so mm-hmm. it's almost a decade ago. And there's nothing more embarrassing when you see people who think they're something when they're a no one. So for me, it was like Careful what you're saying here, mate. But I enjoyed it while it was there, but I, I'm, I was someone who watched it before, and if I saw someone, I'd chat to them, but I'm not someone to sit here and think that that's, that's what defines me and that's who I am. I'm a guy who once went on The Apprentice back in the day because, 
you know what? Yeah, the day after I think I won it, um, I'm pretty sure the the Queen had a jubilee. So I was forgotten about the, the Queen's jubilee turned up. So all of a sudden, which which was fine because I went on it to raise money to set up a business which I now run with Lord yeah. Sugar successfully. I never went on it for the byproduct of any like public interest. That was just short lived. And now it's just awkward because people kind of look at you out of nowhere. Like, I know you. And I'm like, oh, do you? And I'm never going to say. My wife sits there thinking, oh, God, this again. And I'm like, oh, did we go to school together? I don't think so. And I, I won't say it because it's just, a excuse my French, a bit of a knobbish thing to yeah. come out to. Yeah, it's because of this reason. <laughs> um, so my wife normally jumped in went, he's on The Apprentice, that's it. Now you know, see that's you later. It, and and she, she, she's like, just stop being an idiot and just say to people. I'm like, no, because I'm a normal guy. Like my football, and we met in, a, in an environment where I went to watch the football. You went there with a mate, and we just a, a group of people enjoying the sport, right? But it was the bizarre thing for me because you would just introduce yourself as Ricky, and I think it was the Monday morning because they end up beating Shrewsbury three one that game. Like I said, um, I remember I had, probably the last time we won a game. <laughs> I'd say at this rate, <laughs> I only had I'm not a gambler, but I had a bit of money on the game, and I think there was like seven minutes of injury time. And the administrator, when he put this board for seven minutes up, the assistant referee, I mean, where have you got those fucking seven minutes from? And, you know, <laughs> you know in this kind of director's box, and the geezer come over and said, Tony, you cannot speak like that, because I'm just a football <laughs> fan. But, you know, we had a few beers, but then on the Monday after, Appy and Westy came to the gig at Celsius at Bun Leisure that night. Appy nearly burned down the caravan, actually, because he left the gas on in the kitchen when we, in the static caravan, when we had a pizza when we got in from the gig. But then on the Monday, my Twitter kind of came up and it was like, you've been followed by Ricky Martin. And then... And you're like, my God, the singers, follow me at last. (laughs) Yeah, I've been stalking Ricky Martin all these years because obviously I didn't know your surname. And I was like, a verified Ricky Martin. What what the fuck is going on here? Then looked into it. I was like, oh, it's the geese from Saturday, Jesus. I mean, (laughs) you must have had some fun with the namesake. But, oh, it's a um, it's it's a door opener, right? Like, do don't get me wrong. Do I like it sometimes if I'm staying somewhere? And I and I and I'll always make sure I write my name if I'm staying somewhere. I think just in case that they you know give me a better room or better something like that. Just just in case. And I'm not, I I'm not leather the, trousers as well. Oh, exactly. And the look of disappointment on people's face mm. when I turn up is always a picture. So um, yeah, I guess I should say that I. I don't have black cats with voodoo dolls, unfortunately, but I do like <laughs> to live a crazy life. So, yeah. When you entered The Apprentice, because you go on about that kind of split-second familiarity and that kind of overnight fame, so to speak, for um, a kind of prolonged period, that is the edit is such a long process, isn't it, that when it finally mm. comes out, what kind of timescale were you looking at there? Well, it, it was about six months, I would say. Um, so I'd finished the film in the end of 2011 and it didn't go, didn't air on TV until March 21st, 2012. And the only reason I know that day is not because I'm a weirdo, because March the 21st is my birthday. So the first episode went out on my birthday in 2012. So you've got that November, December, January, February, five month window from me finishing the process to episode one going on TV. And then it's a 12 week process right so it's then 12 weeks to the end of it so in to an extent for me doing the final episode actually film production it's nine months until the final happens that's a long time it's almost a year in anyone's life of me to contain contain the secret that you've won as well 
all technically I didn't know I'd won. I knew I was a finalist and um, it's now publicized so it can be spoken about, but both finalists were, were both winners. If that makes, we both got hired in the boardroom. Right. Um, so we both had the chance of winning. It was only the day before the final episode aired on TV. Um, when we filmed the after show, the you're hired show, did I actually have a outside of camera conversation with Lord Sugar? And he's like, well, I'm going to tell you how you've got on up thought about this since you were here and I want you to, to kind of do this with me, which is behind closed doors, not for TV. It's just for him and I having a conversation. So I only knew I'd won it 24 hours before general public knew I'd won wow. it. Wow, so like, so you're saying that that's nine months after the process. That, I mean, I, I mean, literally left it. We kind of speak and going back to football about VAR now, kind of killing the goal celebration, but that's yeah. celebrating a goal nine months after it's been scored, right? It is. The only... The only thing you've got is it's almost like you've um, balls come in front of you, two strikers have struck it at the same time with their foot, and you don't know who's because you know there's a goal, but you don't know who's got it. So VAR will answer the question, but at least in normal VAR terms, if you've scored the goal, it's either a yes or a no. This is either a yes or a no, and is it me or is it him kind of thing. So who were you against in the final? It, it was a chap called Tom Gearing who was like um, wine investments and hedge funds. So very different to what I do and what I know. So him and I both got the investment. And I was pretty convinced he was going to get the, so, get the opportunity. So you weren't confident then of winning? I, I backed myself as a worthy winner and I, I knew my idea was a really good idea. But I was still working for a firm and it was a, it was a grassroots business idea that I wanted to get off the ground to the investment where Tom had already been started his company for two years before them. So his business was already going. So it was whether or not Lord Sugar backed a business that was already going, already working, or one that isn't going, isn't working, and I hadn't run the company yet. So it was all down to what his appetite of, I guess, failure or success could be. So I thought there was a chance I wouldn't. Um, but I was hopeful. I, I, I knew whatever the outcome would be. I think the reason why my business today works is I was going to do this with or without The Apprentice, with or without Lord Sugar. It was going to happen. This was my first child that I wanted to bring to market and, and make my own. So I didn't go on The Apprentice just for fame or just for a bit of quick money or to try and work. I went on it to get money quickly in a recession, um, whereas actually it was going to happen. So that's so determination. You, you were kind of using the process because people may or may not know that your background was like, you're a wrestler. And I love that, the yeah. thing, you know, I've not delved too much because I don't want, I want you to tell me about you rather than me tell you mm. about you. Do you think you kind of knew that in and from being a wrestler and you've got to kind of sell that kind of story. It's an entertainment business. I mean, yeah. it's obviously the physicality of it as well, but did you think I can utilize this tool for exposure? And because he said, like, biochemist by day, wrestler by night. I mean, it's like a bit it of was, a superhero thing. It's perfect for it TV. Was probably, it's perfect fodder. Probably the only reason I got cast on it, if I'm honest with you. I mean, I had the business now. So I, I did what I did for quite a number of years. I studied biochemistry. I'd worked doing this industry for, for about six, seven years before I went. So I had the business pedigree and the business idea. But let me put it like this. When I auditioned for the process, there were some really, really, really good business people who wiped the floor with me on so many different areas, but were dull as dishwater. Um, and you've got to remember that the process is two things. It is a business investment. It's a real investment for Lord Sugar who puts real money into it. And I've now run a business with him for what? how many years? Like eight and a bit years now. And we, we, we have board meetings every month. It's a real thing. But they ain't going to put boring people on no TV way. and get viewers for it. So I realized that 
actually, what did I bring to the table? I bring a biochemist wrestler called Ricky Martin. I mean, that's chances are <laughs> that is that's good PR to get people thinking. What on earth is going on? Let's just have a look. And I was the guy that everyone was like, he's an idiot. He goes week one, week two. Look at that bloody yard. Which is cool. I got that. I understood that. And I was prepared to accept that. But work really, really hard to change people's opinions of what I'm really like. Was it because of, so you're wrestling, you're a qualified biochemist. Was there a part of you that thought that wrestling might be a career for yeah, I guess if I, if I go back a little bit, just to kind of help bring it together. So I studied biochemistry at university for, for two reasons. One, I was good at the sciences. And secondly, I didn't know what else to do, which is very common with a lot of long, young people thinking about what's next. And when I finished my, my college, I was like, I don't know what job I want to do. So I don't know if I want to go into the workplace. I've got an opportunity to go to university. I was, um, I was actually working in sales to fund it myself because my family didn't have the, the, the funds to do that. So I, I could generate the money to do it. And I thought, I'll go for it. I'll carry on that education because an education in something like math, science, English is probably going to work for you when you're older. So when I got to 21 and I graduated, I was like, now I've got to do something now. But I found my passion for actually doing wrestling while at university because I always watched it as a young man. Um, so my, my passion for wrestling was from watching it as a kid, just loving the Hulk Hogan's, the Ultimate Warriors, then The Rock. And then I used to do it with my mates, kind of backyard style. And then I found the company to train me at university. So I wanted to get my academics because I always believed whether it's sports or anything, if you go after something, you have to have something to fall back on. I think the amount of people who want to be pro footballers or pro whatevers that don't have a backup yeah. plan. So for me, science was something I was good at. I was bright. I could do the exams. I had an interest in it. But to me, that was something that would... Um, I'd fall back on if my passion for wrestling didn't work out. So I started in recruitment when I finished university recruiting scientists. So I was applying my degree, but I was wrestling every Wednesday night, Thursday night, locally in Portsmouth. Friday night, I'd probably go and do Butlins in Bognor Regis. And Saturday and Sunday, I'd travel all over the country doing wrestling shows wherever they were. So I'd be wrestling what was, four what five was your times kind a week. Of, what was your name as a wrestler? You weren't the scientist, well, were you? No, no, I, I, the science didn't even come into it. So I, I was I was very simply Ricky Hype, hence why my business name is now Hyper Recruitment yeah. Solutions, which I will tell everyone professionally, Hyper Recruitment Solutions is HR Solutions, which is what's recruitment. But people who know me know that Hype was my wrestling name. So um, that's what's bled into my, my business name. So um, the story where I'm going with that is I was wrestling all throughout. My, my job after uni was really to make money and to, to build a career while I'm still pursuing my wrestling passion. And I started doing more and more shows wrestling, getting more and more exposure. I picked up loads of belts across the country. I started doing it across Europe. And at the time I applied to The Apprentice, I was I was called by the booker of what's the WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment, which is what they're now known as, or WWF for people of Asia. Yeah. Um, I was called by the booker for the UK to say, look, they're over here in March. Do you want to come and try out? I'm sorry, November, do you want to try out? And, and then November was in Liverpool. And I was like, oh, that'd be brilliant. So I got offered the tryouts and got offered the apprentice contract. And I kind of sat there and thought, had a bit of a decision to make. Do I, do I follow this wrestling dream of going stateside and, and trying to make it big in the WWE? Or, or do, I, do I back this, this business career, which has been going really, really well for me? And I'd really like to do a company. And um, I kind of made the call. I'm like, well... Firstly, I'm not six foot six. Secondly, I'm not about 20 to 30 stone. So I'm not necessarily headline material when it comes to American wrestling. Although I was good at it and I had character, I wasn't the, the traditional material that is a Hulk Hogan kind of look. 
Secondly, they normally sign you after two trials. So they're, they're, they're trying me in November, try me again in March. And I was like, well, do you know, I'll do the apprentice. If it, if it completely falls on its ass, um, I want to get this business going anyway, but I know I'll be able to get my way back into auditions, probably more so for wrestling off the back of having extra exposure. So um, that was the point where I made the call, what's more sustainable, wrestling and put my body at risk. And I was due to get married. Like you're on the road 300 days a year. It has an impact on the family. So I made the decision that I'm going to give, I, I pretty much stopped the wrestling at that point and just gave the apprentice my all, the business my all since I've got it up and running. And while I miss the wrestling, yeah, of course, I miss the showmanship, yeah. the crowds, getting people to either cheer you or boo you because you, you play a part. Um, I haven't looked back. I made absolutely the right decision. But... The wrestling enabled me to do what I do because I'm confident to speak and pitch to big audience, do speaking and gave me the confidence on The Apprentice that I wouldn't let anyone beat me. Yeah, I'm, that's what I was alluding to, that the tools that you kind of gain from the wrestling and the travelling and that wrestling kind of community. I know when I've been sound checking in holiday parks and stuff like that and it's the crossover from the wrestling in the afternoon to then the act in the yeah. evening, you know, what people don't see is that the wrestlers then, you know, they build the rings. It, you know, it's a bit, little bit like a circus, isn't it? It's completely a circus. I mean, when I did the holiday camps, I mean, people don't realise how hard it is. You mm-hmm. literally, there'd be, there'd be only six, seven or eight of you, but I'm literally a couple of good guys, a couple of bad guys, a ref and maybe someone who's helping every other bits and pieces. You'd get in a van, you'd travel to one site, you'd put up the ring, you'd do your matches a couple of hours, you'd take the ring down, you'd drive yeah. to another holiday car. But it very much is a circus kind of carnival mentality that... You see the glitz and glams of the US, but the grassroots element of it really is quite spit and sawdust. You don't get paid a lot for it, and it's for the love of it. But all of those things build character, which certainly have made me more disciplined and grounded as my my business career has very much accelerated. Have you seen uh, You'll Not Kill David Arquette? Uh, I watched, ironically, I watched about two weeks ago. He's in a... I mean, that is fucking mad, isn't it? If you've never been in... You'll get this. If you've never been in something that you really, really love and you're traveling everywhere and you, people wonder why you do it because you're away from people, he's just got that bug and he just can't drop the bug. And he's also got an obsessive personality, right? Yeah. So um, you're watching thinking, what are you doing when he's on a horse in his backyard in this bloody cape? And you're thinking, my God, this guy's fallen. But he's got a bug that you can't shake. Yeah. And he can pull some attractive women as well. <laughs> I know. And you look at it. Like, well, he must be doing something right. <laughs> he does all right but it's it's crossed over in what i do i think everything we do in this world whatever it is so for me with the wrestling side you need to look at the skills that you learn in there and you need to apply them to other things in what you do and so for me though it was it was storytelling ultimately wrestling is storytelling there's good there's bad there's crowds and, and your job is to give everyone an experience right and be confident in doing that it's not necessarily about in, in, in pro wrestling which is the televised stuff it's not necessarily about technical greatness. It's about storytelling. So for me, what I've been able to do is, is take the concepts of um, storytelling into, A, to get me on The Apprentice, to help me win it in terms of articulating where I stand, understanding that there's a reaction to what you do, there's responses. And it has helped me with what I do day to day. I will say people won't get that, but 100%. Yeah. Standing up in front of a few thousand people being the bad guy where everyone's booing at you and your job is to fuel that and to give them a story. You learn how to work with people um, in ways you can never imagine. One million percent. Relating to that, your apprentice kind of journey, and I know these reality programs get this journey kind of 
tag quite a lot, whether it be, you know, the music or kind of The Apprentice. And The Apprentice has become such a worldwide success, hasn't it? Especially, yeah. I mean, Jesus, the former American president did it for one point. Which is believe just, it. I mean, yeah. that is just, probably that's the world in a nutshell now, isn't it? That reality TV kind of ruled the world, literally. But yeah, you then, how you say that you utilise those tools throughout the process, did that then give you an advantage? Because you, you, I presume that you do actually all live in that house I mean, we listen, we know that the TV edit is that and that phone ringing, is it actually people running down the stairs answering the phone? Yeah. Are they saying, you're going to answer the phone today? Just look like you're getting out of bed. You've got 10 minutes. Listen, I've lived with enough women that I know that, that women don't get ready in 10 minutes and look like that after, you know? The, the thing is, it is as real as they can make it. Yeah. And, and things like that. As a viewer, I thought that, but after being in it, if you actually think about it, I mean, for those that have never seen it, it's just a 12-week interview process where you do, your all is a bunch of candidates. You do different jobs every week and, and you get taken places. The phone call only ever rings at the start of every task. When you think about it logically to introduce a task. So when you just had a boardroom and someone's been fired, you know the next day and next task. So the phone's going to happen. And it happens between about 5 to 6 a.m. in the morning. So what you'll normally find is, you know it's coming. You know the phone calls between 5 and 6 a.m. The gals will get up extra early to start getting ready against that. And they'll normally show the guys rushing around to start with. Um, and sometimes the gals get in the phone because they're already halfway getting ready for it. So it is actually as real time as they can make it. But you kind of learn as the process goes on when the call's coming, what time it comes. You plan a, as a guy, you'd end up showering the night before, ironing your shirt and be like, I'll just get up. As soon as it rings, I'm up, throwing it on, yeah. brush my head, I'm gone. So it is a, um, like anything in work, you learn the tricks of what you do in every job. But, and then you but just this is my point it. that, do you think that you kind of learned that quicker than other people within the same process because of what we've said about being in that kind of traveling circus wrestling family. And, you know, you've got to learn to live with people. And let's be honest, within life, I mean, you're pretty easy going, you're a positive guy, but you don't get on with everybody you meet in life. That's just life. You, you can't. You've got to learn to adapt to. to your environment. And do you think that that kind of give you an advantage from your background? I think two things gave me the advantage. One, a recruiter's job is to try and understand and get on with lots of different peoples of different backgrounds and try and help them with their careers. So uh, inevitability of that job, you have to be more in tune with different people and try and find ways to make things work. I think that made it work with certainly the other candidates so that I could almost ally with them rather than fight with them. Um, but the, the wrestling background of that kind of, almost that traveling community, I, Although there's, it's a real business process and there's a real winner, there's a real investment and a real byproduct of it, we need to remember that ultimately there's a TV product being made and there's different parts of that TV product. There's those on screen, there's those off screen, there's those in the pre-edit, the post-edit, the production, there's those that live in the house to support the logistics. What I realised that actually, if you can get on with all those moving parts, which is what you need to do in any travelling community of any capacity... Um, if you can get on with the person who drives the car as well as books different things, as well as, I don't know, puts you in front, the sound person, the mic person, the, the cameraman or, or camera person is probably more PC these days, right? Um, <laughs> if you can get on with all those different people, when it comes down to the boardroom, like, the old trigger doesn't sit there in every single moment of every single task. You see him at the start of the task and the end of the task. He, he can't see everything. So 
who do you think gives all of that information back up to the boardroom to say this person's easy to get on with? It's 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 the aides, which is these days Claude and um, Karen. Is, but then you've also got the whole production unit as well. We're going to be having notes and feedback and funneling all that information in. So it is one big, and this sounds really cliche, it's one big family and you've got an objection in any family, yeah. but get on with everyone as best you can and, and don't break relationships or be an arsehole and get sacked straight away. So I definitely learned from that wrestling community of storytelling. You have to get on with the person and have chemistry in order to tell a story to an audience, but also the traveling element of driving a van, putting up a ring, staying in some horrible chalet somewhere for the night while you, you have to learn how to get on with people. So that definitely gave me the soft skills that you could never put on a CV that people would understand to build good relationships. And as a result, have a better chance of going further. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a TV program back in 2008 and I, I became closer I got on with the contestants, but I got on with the production as well. And listen, listen, I married one of the dancers. So listen, you don't have to tell me about getting on with everybody. Yeah. I think that you that's totally comes across. I mean, the main, would you say your main social media platform is Twitter? Because what you come across on that, you give some great advice on management, on interview technique, working from home advice at the moment. But a lot of it is just general courtesy, manners and respect for people. You know, you say, if, you got, if you're going to a job interview, I was looking at my clock, as thinking, is he going to be on time today? Because if he's not, I'm going to absolutely <laughs> hammer him. But you were right a minute before, you, you know, you allude to, if you're going for a job interview, then get there 15, 20 minutes early, half an hour early, prepare yourself, be in the room, get into the zone, yeah. you know, open doors for people, be polite, say please, say thank you, and just, you know, don't bullshit people, but sell yourself in the same instance. I mean, to me and you, maybe that's why we kind of have a common ground, that that's just, that's just natural, our natural kind of well-being. You know, I know that at the moment some people, like women, can say, I don't want a man opening a door for me. I don't need yeah. a man to open a door for me. Listen, I'm, I'll open a door for a man or a woman, whoever's coming behind me, and with that, I'll say good morning, and they'll hopefully say thank you. And if they don't, I'll think, you know, what, what's wrong with that person? Well, it's the simplest things in life are manners. I was always brought up, simplest things are please and thank you. It's like when you go to a bar, and it's a really, really busy bar, and you see how horrible hunters are when they're talking to the person who's behind them clicking them. clicking at people exactly clicking they're rude they don't even look at them they almost have their money in their hand i'm just like what people don't realize is if when it's your time to order your drink and you actually look the person in the eye and you say please and you really thank them at the end i can promise you the rest of the night they're going to come to you quicker in that queue than other people sometimes it's just the softer skills and a lot of the advice and i'm generating a lot of content twitter certainly a big one that I put it out on, but I'm putting more and more on my LinkedIn professional network is huge. And some of this stuff doesn't land as well on Instagram because people want to see different things rather than maybe job advice. But a lot of my things are just very simple, general things that you could do. Courteous, manners, timekeeping, punctuality, interest. I think everything we do in life, we're defined by the person that we are. And sometimes it's the feeling people have when they're around you. If you can show interest in others, you can listen to others, you can ask questions and what they're saying to you and respond to it, you can build relationships. And um, I think sometimes the more complicated people make the world, particularly social media where it's about an image, and, and, and we all have to build our own personal brands to sell to audiences. 
But I think sometimes people forget the human side of what we all do and, and lockdown has probably made us all want that human side more than ever. So I think I, I've got my office open on a couple of days a week at the moment for those that are struggling with their well-being at home and we're going to move more and more back to getting together. Everyone's desperate to get around other people and I think life's about purpose and that lockdown stripped that away from us. And um, a lot of the advice I will always give is always coming back to culture, um, culture of a business, culture of you as a person, um, relationship building. Um, we, we can all decide to be a great positive person on a day or be an arsehole. We have that choice. And if we feel like we're an arsehole because we've had a bad night's sleep, we've got a choice to either show that or not show that, right? So, I, I mean, would you say that somebody... Uh, an arsehole would say something like, I truly am the reflection of perfection. <laughs> I would say that those words were perfectly quoted by a young man going into an interview process yeah. who stole them from a wrestler, it Mr. superstar Billy Graham, okay, yeah. which was, who was actually the wrestler that Hulk Hogan built his career off the back of. So did I use those words? Yes. Do I think I'm the reflection of perfection? No. Um, Did it make great headlines? Did it get me noticed? And did people ask me questions on it so I could then change their opinion? 100%. It was all, I was a, I I sometimes think when it comes to The Apprentice, you're applying to an entertainment show, you got to get, I wrote an application form to start with and asked my fiance at the time to look at it. And she said, that is the most boring thing I've ever read. They're never going to look at you, Ricky. I wrote it again. She's like, my God, you are an arsehole, but that will be brilliant. So you've got to, you know, sometimes you've got to, adapt to your environment oh, no, but but my point is that that you are definitely not that person, it doesn't fly but it doesn't fly in the real world that type of attitude yeah and that's that that's what arrogance. i mean but yet again utilize a skill set and tools that you've acquired from life experience not from working in an office or recruitment or in a chemistry lab you know that the best bit of advice i was ever given which uses that statement so that was my wrestling character fundamentally the arrogant brash kind of just guy you want to punch in the face, right? That was the character that I bought. Although I was actually the fresh face, I'd never have a bit of stubble. That's a bit of lockdown, right? Um, I'd never looked like that. I was that kind of fresh face, tans type young chap, but was the arrogant one that you just love to hate. So that reflection of perfection, really, when I put that on the application form, what was coming through there was the wrestling character. The wrestling Ricky was coming out at that point. And just before I went on the show, I remember the best bit of advice my mum gave me says, can you do me a favour? Can you just be you? Don't be that wrestler idiot. Be you, and I promise you, you'll do really, really well. And I think that's a lesson in everything we do. I had the choice to either be, give them what they what they bought of me, which was wrestler Ricky, or go in there and just be normal me, the, the normal person. And I think that's the same interviewing for jobs. You're going to put a CV together to get yourself noticed for an interview, but when you're in that interview, you've got to be you. And if they don't like you, you probably won't like them. You don't want to work there. And everything we do in life is about being that human you are to be. So um, you've got to use things when you need to use things. You need to utilise, you you need to have access to that in. But then once you're in, then it's sink or swim, right? Absolutely that. Then it really is down to, you strip that, those statements, the CV, everything away from you. And that's everything. It's, when you, it's like when you go on a date for the first time. You, I mean, I, I haven't, I've been married now for almost a decade, so I've never seen this virtual way of meeting people. But they've all got profiles online to say certain things about them, looking for certain ways to grab people's attention. Then you've got to meet the person, right? And all, which is like an interview, I always say. A date's like an interview. Um, and a marriage is like getting a job. Um, so 
I, 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 I don't relate the two really well. Like when you get fired from that job, though, that's, that's, it happens. We, we all get our heart broken on occasion, yeah. right? And we break hearts and we have a heart broken. But you've got to be you at that point out that day. And you can't have the, I can't turn, I can't sit there in my wrestling outfit and, and spout all these things and think anyone's going to have any respect or even think, what is the planet is this guy on? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just perfect. That's life, life skills more vital than what anything you can read i mean you need to educate yourself regardless that's what we're trying to teach our kids but life skills and life experience is it's irreplaceable and another when you look at life picture when it's university and people don't need to go to university i mean the apprentice opportunities these days are unbelievable that are actually available but apprentices have a bad gig these days because they're, they're, they're people see it as what it was 30 years ago like the apprentices people who don't go and study they go and do the apprentice these days if you change the word apprentice to rock stars we'd have loads of people going to do it these days and, and, and some apprentices really are rock stars but when I went to uni the biggest learn isn't the academics at all the biggest learn is being with a whole group of people of a certain age living away from home building independence doing my own washing um do my own shopping, pay my own bill. The biggest learn for me at university is the life skills. And I always think if people are choosing university, some people will make the choice between going to a uni close to home to mum and dad or mum or dad or whoever they live with um, and commute every day because it's cost effective, it's easy. I would always tell those people it's short-sighted. All you're getting out of that is an academic qualification. What you really want out of that is life skills. What you really want out of that is living with people you like and you don't like and... Uh, annoying people in the house when you don't do your dishes that aren't your parents anymore. Those are the best things you learn from uni, which can help you in the future more than any academic qualification ever can. I think that that starts, I think that's been apparent within the current parameters. Um, the kids going back recently, I just saw my little girl walking to school behind me with a friend and she, you know, she's not interacted with somebody like that for so long now, like one day, mm after Christmas and then having that taken away. I mean, we've all tried our best to homeschool and we can teach within a certain kind of standard and level, obviously not to a teacher's level, but we can all kind of do that, but you miss that friendship, you know, those bonds yeah. that you learn, learning to sit in that classroom and have respect for the teachers and your friends and your peers and people around you. And I think that, you know, whether it's, being a kid at nursery from four years old or being somebody 18 to 21 to university or then moving on, whether you're kind of traveling or being in a, in a TV program, you know, that, that is a, a, a life skill that, you know, is integral to your well-being. We can't live our life sitting at the end of a Zoom or a Teams or whatever it is. We have to, it can supplement what we do. It can make it easier, but Purpose of being around people, feeding off people, learning from people, learning skills when people don't say anything, but they react in certain ways. And you get a, you get those gut feelings that you get in the real world can, can really help you in the future. That um, I think it's been a horrible year, I think, for, for a lot of kids trying to study. I mean, A, the parent trying to help them with homeschooling. I mean, luckily, our toddler's just before that age, but... He's a toddler who can't sit still on his own. So um, I've tried Peppa Pig. I didn't know it was good homeschooling or not, but um, Peppa Pig certainly found a way into the house quite a few occasions over the last year. But bring people together and great things happen. Keep people apart, and it's it's a bad thing long term. Definitely. Well, keeping people apart and bringing people together. Obviously, you've alluded to uh, Lord Sugar. 
and said, you know, that is a kind of ongoing thing. He's still in the boardroom meetings once a, once a month. I've got... Yeah, I mean, and uh, they've all moved virtually now, right? So um, I think to give some context between, behind the business for everyone, I've mentioned that we're a science recruitment company, but when I got the investment of a quarter of a million pound, the business was literally written as words on a piece of paper. It was a business plan. And over the last eight years, I've now grown that to a business which has, I mean, these aren't to, sit, to try and say like they're amazing things, but just for, for the context, it's now a business of 50 people with multiple UK sites. It turns over 15 million pounds a year. It's profitable and growing. And I share that because it's a business that I've worked with him to get out of its infancy on a business plan into a real business. It puts a few thousand people into jobs every single year. It's a real company making a real difference. And um, I reinvest most of the profits that the business makes into hiring new people, building more opportunities to make differences. And um, I set up the business not from a financial perspective of greed. I set it up because the biochemist in me and the heart in me wants to help different people. And I work with companies that do get medicines out there. So I share those things just to give context that the business has grown. It's at a successful level. It's off the ground. But I'm humbled to realize that anything can happen tomorrow morning. And my job is to keep learning of how I can make the business more sustainable, how I can help people's jobs grow, careers develop and, and put more people into jobs. And once a month now, they're virtual, as you can imagine, I will have a touch point with Lord Sugar where I'll discuss things. But he is an investor, I think is probably something people need to realise. He put money in and I have two contracts. I'm a shareholder owner of the company and I'm also an employee of the company. He's only a shareholder owner of the company. So his obligations are periodic boardroom meetings with me where we'll discuss performance of the business my other obligation is every single day in the business running it on my own kind of growing it building a great team and, and, and getting people around me and um you couldn't do that unless you had people and life skills you couldn't get people to want to work with you and want to believe in you and i i think if you have a business or you think about ever doing a business businesses need to have a heart and the heart needs to have a purpose and People work with you not because of how much they get paid, because of how much they want to be part of it. Like and, that. And like that, mate. I think that people listening in, and there will be apprentice fans and you know, people who are probably unemployed at the moment with what you're saying, it's going to be a real kind of struggle getting back there. So I think that people taking on board what you're saying, it's probably integral to, you know, moving on with whether it's a changing career. I mean, I remember messaging you you know, nearly 12 months saying my my career is kind of fucked at the moment. If you think of anything that you think I can do, then let us kind of know. And you were like, I'll keep my options open. But it's very kind of scientific and chemistry. But it's it's apparent that that's a passion. And it's, it's brilliant to kind of see this, this kind of series of pods with nothing to promote is something and people who've had a passion, whether it's something they've been lucky enough to do, whether it's an ongoing process or something that, you know, they aspire to get towards. And I think that it's been a real success story so far for you. And I think there's plenty more to come. I think the thing, thank you, by the way, I, I think it's doing well, but I'm one to think what's next, if that makes sense, rather than I've got to the top of my mountain and I've done it. My mountain's still so far ahead of me that I'm, I'm, I'm scraping to get up it still. Um, but when it comes to, to what you just said perfectly, passion is so important. I think whatever aspiration someone has, whether it is their changing job, they've got personal ambitions at home, they want to set up a business, all I'd ever, ever say is do it because you're passionate about it, not because it's the cool thing to do, it's the trendy thing to do or it makes you money. 
I honestly, I mentioned that my business, we might be making good numbers and we're profitable. I honestly couldn't give, excuse the French, two shits about the finances in it. I'm doing this because I want to make a difference, more and more of a difference. I couldn't recruit for anything other than the sciences. I would be good enough because I'm a, a skilled recruiter, but I wouldn't care enough about it. And as a result, it would become a transactional relationship of me trying to make money as opposed to me trying to make a difference. So whatever someone wants to do, I would say they really need to think about what's important to them. Because I think particularly earlier when you're younger, every, not every, a lot of young people, I've done a lot of work. I've done, I did, did, did a couple of TV programs recently with Stacey Dooley, where we took a young group of teenagers in, into the workplace and she, she guided them every day and I was interviewing them and coaching them. Um, 75% of them want to be a social media influencer. And when asking why, it's like, because I can do a lot, I can do very little and make a lot of money out of it. I'm like, very few people get that opportunity. Yeah. And most people who become an influence become an influence off the back of a success of something else. You can't start at a point. So I share that because people sometimes see things as being the trendy, cool, or the money-making thing to do, and they aspire towards that. I would say, what do you care about most? If you absolutely love a sport and you want to be a then dedicate yourself and if it's, you don't get to be the athlete then what else can you do to help that sport if you really care about it i've stuck with science and gave up a wrestling dream and other bits and pieces because i really believe that i can help people get better and save patients lives through science i'm several steps removed now i'm not doing the science but i speak to the scientists that do do it and i speak to loads of them and help them do it so i think whatever you're going to do just care about it focus on that and Try and be the best that you can be in what you do. It's about being the best that you can be for who you are. Um, and I, if I did anything, if I was, I don't know, if I if I built pens, if I was a if I was a pen manufacturer, I'd want to build the best pen that people loved, and I'd want to be known for making the best pen. I, I couldn't care how much it made me. So whatever someone wants to do, care about it enough, and you can be successful in it. And try and be the best that you can be, not better than everyone else. The best that you can be. Forget about others. Think about yourself and how good you can be and how much you can help. And I think people can, can do amazing things when they just look at it that way. Within that, I think that's perfectly put. Um, I think you've got to kind of gauge your dream and passion versus reality. Because, listen, we all, we all have dreams and aspirations. I mean, I wanted to be a footballer, but it soon became apparent that wasn't good enough, wasn't quick enough. So, I mean, you've, it's easy to say, follow your dreams, but there's some things like you just cannot do. So you've just got, we've focused quite a lot in recent podcasts and podcasts gone by of balance and just realisation of and realising your true potential. And you, you do need people around you that can speak to you honestly as well. Um, and I mean, I've, I've Back in the day, I used to love watching The X Factor and watching the early auditions. And sometimes you see people going into, you see young people going into it with their families. Oh, our daughter, she's fantastic. We just knitted her a dress to wear and she's going to she's gonna win the... And she turns up and you're like, my God, why didn't... That poor girl is like a lamb to the slaughter. Yeah. It's like, you need people to be honest with you around you as well. And if, if you just surround yourself with yes people that just tell you things you want to hear, it doesn't help. My biggest frustration when I used to wrestle is after the show, I would always, no matter when I was headlining or doing really well, I'd always ask feedback from the booker or someone I wrestled with or other people in the locker room. What do you think? My biggest irritation was people just said, brilliant, it was the best match on the show. And I'm sure you've had this when you've had it. And sometimes you know you've had a stinker. You're like, no, that was terrible. You know, I know I got through it and I know I did my part, but 
I, ju- I just didn't connect tonight. It just didn't yeah. work for me. It didn't feel right. It's nothing worse than people just telling you what you want to hear. You need to have people around you that will speak honestly, even if you don't want to hear it, and help you reality check where possible. Um, and, and sometimes when it comes to interviewing, people prepare for presentations and they deliver it. And you're like, that was awful. You're like, did you ask him? No, I didn't think I needed to. Well, if I'm honest with you, I think you should have got a few people to see that before. And they could have given you some honest advice that you just read off your slide. You didn't even present it to me. So I think surround yourself with great people that are honest. And probably in life, what we need to realise is sometimes those groups of people do evolve and change as you evolve and change. And, and sometimes you need to not move on. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes you need to align yourself with people where you are and where you're going, not where you've been. Adapting, I think. I'm 100% yeah. on... Yes, men. I think that we see a lot of people who've been successful for a short period then kind of fall into that kind of a false sense of security because they've got people around them telling, yeah, you're amazing. Yeah, do that, do that, buy that. Yeah, do that, do that. And it's the people who say, no, you don't, that's that's no good. My MD and my van, Pete, he's one of my best friends because he's so brutally honest if I kind of hit a bum now, he'll look at me and go, that was really shit. You know, and he, he's got no, he, he takes quite a lot of pleasure in that because he also appreciates when a gig's amazing, he'll come off and go, that was amazing. And I can take his word for it because I know that if it's shit, he's going to tell me it's shit. I think it's um, going back to kind of just a generalization of yes, no, please, thank you, opening doors. It's just it's having the humility to start with, though, the humility to ask for that feedback as well, because sometimes people don't want to ask it because they're afraid of rejection. I mean, your, your MD is giving you that feedback, which is great. You've surrounded you. But if someone hasn't got an MD, they still don't ever be afraid to ask, how, how do you think I got on? I mean, everything you buy these days online within about a day or an hour, you get an email mm-hmm. saying, how is the service? Complete this service. I mean, everyone should be seeking opportunities to get feedback for themselves. And that takes a little bit of humility in yourself to think okay i know that i could be better i'm going to ask if you think if you think that you've nailed it i'd always tell people that they haven't every person who's ever had a job that i've supported and have come out of the interview saying i've got that job ricky has never got the job <laughs> never ever got the job everyone who leaves saying my god that was a shocker i'm like okay this person's got humility that hopefully that human being came across so you've got to ask for the feedback and Ask people who are better than you and ask people who aren't as good as you and, and, and lower than you in the chain. I mean, feedback should work in all directions. Definitely. Right? I think from a performance point of view, every gig I go to, whether it be somebody singing in a local pub or somebody singing in an arena or a stadium, I think it's Tom Hanks who speaks about trying to take something from watching other people perform and making that your own and I think that yeah. that's the talent within, you know, being a personality within yourself and finding yourself and adapting to yourself and, you know, self-acceptance. I remember the recent pod featuring Claire Richards. She said how insecure she was. You know, she's got one of the best voices I've heard in the pop world. And I kind of relate to her that the more insecure people, as you've just said, are the people who care. It's the real... It's the kind of people who aren't very good who think that they're the, the absolute God's gift at it. Mm. No, and it's all right us saying, you know, I would jest about I truly am the reflection of perfection because that's not you. You want to be better. You know that you're not perfect. You aspire to be better as a person, as a business, as a dad, as a husband, 
you know, I think that that's that's why I'm so chuffed to get you on because you're the kind of person we want to kind of interact with and learn from. And I just hope that people can relate to you as a person and can, can kind of aspire to be better in themselves. Loves. I we've all got choices in the world, right? So I'm one of three boys at home and we all took very different paths. Which one are you? Which one are you? I'm the middle one. So I'm the one that, um, you the middle as well. Yeah, I said if I ever had launched a rock band, I would call it EMC, Evil Middle Child. <laughs> I'm the evil middle child where you can hide behind your older sibling who gets all the flack from the parents and learn from their mistakes and try and think that you can learn directing the, the, the child. But we, we, we all moved on to different things in our world as three boys. So I, I moved on in the business world and thought, okay, we I shared a bedroom with my older brother till I was 16. We had no money. My dad was a bricklayer. Um, mum didn't work while she had three kids um, over those years. So we didn't come from money. And I always had that. Well, when I get older, I don't, I want to be able to go and earn enough money that I don't have to keep looking at my bank account, if that makes sense. And I can, I can buy the things that I need and I can support if I get lucky enough to have a family, what they can have. My older brother went in a different pathway. He, he, he didn't work as much and he, he moved between jobs. And then fortunately, a few years ago, and he did actually pass away. So it's quite an upsetting time for them. And my younger brother, very different trait. It's a blend of the two of us. And I, I use that example. Three boys are three different with three identical you might have just heard my son shout in the background. <laughs> <laughs> he must know. I, I had him in there um, somehow. So um, three identical backgrounds, but three different paths. And we all have, we've all made different choices to end in different places collectively. Um, and I think everybody has the ability to choose that. And I think the key skill, and you said it a moment ago, I always, I say this a lot at work and I must have heard it from someone, but I would say our objective in whatever we do is to be a sponge literally from everyone around you absorb everything like your example of someone in a stadium or someone in a pub or a working man's absorb all the things you like about what they do let go of the things that they didn't and try and find a way to make the bit that you liked about theirs something that you can authentically do don't copy someone kind of per se because of an exact <laughs> copy i know ironic in what we're but you do it in your own well, way I'll, right yeah well this is what i'll say and are you kind there'll of be many things? people that do what you do but very different in what you yeah. do where you have it some in, in people your way and I'm not saying that there's a right way and a wrong way of what I do, but some people will be word for word what Robbie said on stage. Yep. They will sing a set list that Robbie said on done on stage, a set from a certain gig, which is fine. It's not my thing because I remember my first gig and a mate of mine, Shabba, he, he messaged me and said, Tony, just go and be yourself on stage. And like, I was like, Shep, you know I'm supposed to be Robbie Williams. And, you know, we take the piss out of him for that. But he was totally right. And I think the, the people who are the kind of higher end of the tribute market are people who take themselves on stage. I mean, if you kind of compared and videoed one of my shows compared to Robbie, you'd be like, he's nothing, he's nothing like that. But because people buy into the mannerisms and the facial expression yeah. and the patter and the ego, and that's, you know, like we're saying about the wrestling, it's exactly the same. People come off stage and then they go, you, you're, not, you're, not, you're not the cock I thought you were. It's just... Well, you've got two choices, either completely copy, and then people have the choice in the future to see you or see Robbie, right? Or if they can't see Robbie, but they don't want to, they don't want to see Robbie exactly. They want to see someone with their own. You, they will know you for you, and that's your your hook is Robbie, and then you add you into that. Yeah. And let's say there were ten 
people who did what you do and nine of them are exactly Robbie. You're the one they'll come and see because you're Robbie with a twist or you're the Tony as Robbie, mm. shall I put it that way around, rather than yeah. Robbie as Tony. That's how I got the TV gig because there was like 20 Robbies in the room and they all had kind of like luminous black hair, if that makes sense. And, you know, they were all walking around like this in like, you know, the jackets and, you know, the cup. And I just turned up in a leather jacket and jeans and just... Uh, but, but you've taken the things that 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 you that you uh, using that sponge analogy okay so you've got a look that looks like robin you've got a talent that you can sing so you've taken the bits that work well for you but then you've kind of let go of the things that aren't you and you you've kept so i everything we do is to learn from others and to take the good things and find an authentic way and if you can't make it authentic don't try it but if you end up copying it you, you end up being a robot and people don't like robots they don't buy into them and people would it be great to have a robot person around the house doing a load of my chores for me? Yeah, maybe, but I wouldn't want to have a conversation with them, that's for sure. Mate, that's a great point. So wrapping up, um, you've kind of alluded to critique and feedback. I suppose one of the biggest compliments you, that you can be paid is the fact that you are now asked back into The Apprentice to be part of the judging panel and the interview process for that final three is that something that you must think, well, I must have done all right, because it was, I keep, Yeah, I, I get questioning myself, thinking, why are they doing this? So I, I've been back on, in, in different guises for them. I've been an interviewer, which to me was the, the biggest honour, because that's like the step before the investment. So must be trusted by my business partner for my opinion. Is that as gruelling? Is that as gruelling from both sides of the desk? Is that as gruelling as it's... Yet again, we allude to the edit, but is it something that is a nerve-wracking experience and is it something that's grueling to give be host in the interview as well it, on the apprentice i'd rather be the interviewer than the interviewee so is it a real interview yes i constructed each of mine to be a 45 minute interview they all had similar things i wanted to understand about them but ultimately what then makes the final edit anything that's going to be more interesting and maybe a little bit deeper so I would say that my style of interviewing was as authentic as it could be but was a hell of a lot more probing and putting people on the spot then in the real world I would say a real world interview is a two-way process where the interviewee wants to get to know as much about the interview as the other way around so it was grueling but I've been an interviewer I've been a mentor to one of the finalists in the final stage who won it which I delightedly won it I've been um on the after show quite a few times as a guest expert for both recruitment as an apprentice candidate. So I generally each year end up having some form of involvement or interest. And there's been a few occasions where um, it's off screen, but I've had Lord Sugar sit down with me with a couple of the businesses that are close to what I know saying, can you just, can you just tell me what's great about some of these things? You're the expert here, Ricky. I'm not, I'm the investor. So, and, and I've been involved in some of the other winners board meetings to add an extra opinion. So delighted that I've been, asked to be involved in things i take that as a true compliment because my business partner is not someone who's going to run around saying you're brilliant ricky you're great at what you do he's, he's a man of little kind of i won't say positive praise that's unfair a man of not many words really because we're, we're business partners um but to, to have got involved in those things over the year i'm delighted and i wouldn't want to go through the process again as a candidate that's for sure but it, it got me my objective. I found the other day, this is this the, the humble side of me, I found the other day, I wish I had it, I found a piece of paper that I wrote before I went into my first audition on The Apprentice and it had the same formula of what I do before I have a business meeting, which is what's my objective? What's their objective? What are the take-homes they need from me and what are my main list of questions? And I found that 
for my audition process of The Apprentice, which is something I've always used in business and in life. But that's originality um, and sustainability. And, and, that, exactly that's, that. and that's proven to be a success. So lo and behold, yeah. you know, who knew that you had that formula all along? And and I'll, I will show others the formula and it's so basic, but when I saw it, it just made me smile that I'm like, I haven't changed. I'm still the same person. And, um, if you do get a minute of popularity or, or overnight PR or something, it goes to so get over it. And, and if you stay as the person you've always been, that you that, that, that is the passion that you have, you, you will do really well in whatever you do. So, um, no, it's it's been great to chat to you on this, I've got to say. Um, Brilliant. Well, I know, nice but things. the thing is, I'm going to bring you back down to earth a little bit because you did do the nothing to promote quiz. Yeah. So, um, I did. You, and you you sent in your answers yesterday, and I know you're dying to know how many you got. How many do you think you got? <laughs> Do you know the funny thing about it is a few occasions I was like, that looks like it's whatever. I mean, I, I, am I allowed to say any of them now? No, no, we can't, we're not going to say any. But what, what, right. what, So I'll one put, of them, I was like, it must be that. And then I Googled it. I'm like, well, it's not that. And then I'm like, it is, because it's their logo about 30 years ago is what that <laughs> one is. Um, I reckon I did okay on it, but I won't lie. My wife and I love playing logo game, particularly my wife. She's awesome at it. But this was so much harder than I expected. It was something... I kind of came up with the concept of because one, I didn't have time and kind of investment and kind of to go and design a logo. I didn't have that skill set just to buy hand and do it, you know, artistically. And I just thought within yeah. the kind of celebrity culture, we're kind of alluding to and kind of featuring on this. It's quite like a stalker blackmail letter, isn't it? Yeah, I thought I was watching um, Seven or something <laughs> yeah, like that and I just when, thought, when I got it. And the branding within all that are like, you know, popular brands around the world. So I just thought it kind of fitted in. But then... But you're putting someone under a microscope is how I see it. You're putting someone under a microscope and that's what that... Um, that's what that but let's, let's, let's cut to the chase. So I did well. I'm going to tell you, I did all right. Our first guest, Mr. Adam Cattrall, got 12... And what's that, 16? Claire Richards got 16. Oh, I didn't get 16. And you got 14. Ah, oh, you know, I'm actually a bit disappointed. <laughs> um, Listen, there's worse places to be than under Claire yeah, Richards. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but I'm talking about... That's true. No, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Well, if I, in my... I'm a scientist, right? That means I got about 88% if I work that backwards. So 88% is top tier. Well, let, uh, that's I'll tell you what, claim. a good way to wrap this up is that you got 88%, which is good. It's there. But I think, like yourself, it's aspiring to do better. And I will ask you after this, in case we can't say brand names, <laughs> what are the two I got wrong? My arrow sent you those <laughs> over. Listen, Ricky... <laughs> Um, I just want to say thank you for being on this, for promoting absolutely nothing. I did pop on your website this morning and then my little girl saw me doing it and said, Dad, are you getting a new job? What's wrong with your job? Apart from not having a job for 12 <laughs> months. I said, listen, there's no way I could do that. So listen, kudos to you. Thanks for being part of it. You've been an absolute pleasure. I hope that the people listening get as much as, it, as I do. And um, listen, here's to success, here's to the future. And here's to getting another physical interaction with you in the not-too-distant future, dude. Absolutely. And, and, and another win for Portsmouth, maybe, if it's at the football. Yeah, top man. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And there you go. Episode four. Ricky Martin. Did he make you take your clothes off and go dance in the rain? 
Probably not, but he certainly bangs and gets across a point of ambition, drive, reality. And coming from a reality process proves that knowledge can be key and a hard-working ethos can just get you as far in life as a skill set and academics. Probably a different kind of podcast from the previous ones, but Ricky's still enthralling, enthusiastic, and brings in a sense of achievement, understanding, and ambition. And similar to previous guests, there's always that constant empathy, respect, and just constant drive to be bigger and better. This process for me, after all, is all about diversity, getting different points of views from different walks of life, because everybody's got a journey, everybody's got a story, and everybody has their truth. Let's see what next week brings. But in the meantime, please share, subscribe, keep supporting, keep burning with us. But in the meantime, take care of yourselves. Have a good one, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.